Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Go to chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says that this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. He, in this verse, reminds us of exactly what he's doing in this whole book. It's what I have titled this, this uh, series is Remember Who You Are. It's all about remembering. It's all about trying to bring our minds back to what we really are. And he says, I'm writing this book, this epistle, this letter, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm writing this to remind you. And what is he reminding, of us, right, reminding us of? Verse 2, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord, Lord and Savior. He's saying, I want you to remember what you heard from the Old Testament prophets I want you to hear, remember what you heard from the New Testament apostles, and all of that points to what Jesus said. You need to remember everything that Jesus said. So he's essentially telling us, kind of the way we would look at it today, remember what God's Word says. That's what he's saying. This is what God's Word says. Let's look back at what it says. Let's hold that to be true. Let's hold that to be uh, important to us. And he says in verse 3, knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. He says, I'm writing all this stuff to remind you, remind you of something that's very important. I'm reminding you of what Jesus said, what the apostles said, what the Old Testament prophets said. He says, I want you to remember that, especially when these jokers come along that are fake Christians. They're false Christians. They're false teachers, and they start talking and doing their mess. He calls them here in verse 3, they're scoffers. He's been talking about them in chapter 2 with their damnable heresies in verse 1 of chapter 2, their pernicious ways over in verse 2. They have feigned words. They, everything coming out of their mouth is a lie, he says in chapter 2 and verse 3. And we talked a lot about in chapter 2, verse 10, how presumptuous they are. They, just, they, they don't mind speaking evil of good things. They have no problem with that. And he says in chapter 2 and verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery. Chapter 2 and verse 15, they've forsaken the right way. There is one true way, and they have forsaken that way. Chapter 2 and verse 18, they are alluring. They're trying to tempt you with the lust of the flesh. They're trying to say, don't worry about what Jesus said, what feels good to you, that's what you need to pursue. In chapter 2 and verse 19, as they say this, they are actually slaves themselves, enslaved in bondage to the corruption of sin. And those, the last, those words of verse 22, where he says, and just look at that with me, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. These are people who are drawn back to the vomit of sin. They are drawn back to the mud of unrighteousness. That's what they want to go after. That's the kind of people they are. And he says, I'm writing this because I want you to remember the truth. 
I want you to remember what Jesus said, what the Old Testament prophets said. I want you to know what the truth is because you're going to hear some people start spouting off a bunch of garbage and you need to know the truth from a lie. You need to know what their foolishness is compared to what the truth is. And it's going to be the kind of thing where we have to recognize there is a, an undeniable and a strong urge. We don't like to admit this. We all like to think we're above this. But when we hear those words of the false prophets and the false teachers, there is a part of us, there's a sinful part of us that wants to follow after that. That's what we want. That's because we are still in this flesh. We want those things. That's why, I know none of y'all do this, but that's why there's a couple of us in this world that still have sin, and we still have to confess that sin. I know that's not, not, not y'all, right? But everybody else, we have sin that we have to confess and we have to wrestle against. That's why, because there's a draw towards that. You wouldn't do it, at least I hope you wouldn't do it if it wasn't at least on some level pleasing to your flesh. That's why you pursue the sin that you pursue. That's why your sin is different than your sin, which is different than your sin, right? Because it pleases my flesh. And we have to understand that there's an allure, there's a, a draw to that. It's going to pull us back to bondage, which is why we need to remember the truth, but it's going to be with, uh, appealing to us. So he's saying, listen, when these guys start talking, these scoffers, when they start talking, I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention to what they're saying. I'm calling you to remember a few things. So why, what is he asking us to remember? First, he's asking us to remember God's promise to return. I want you to see this in verse 3, or rather verse 4. He's talking about these scoffers, and this is what they're saying. They say, where is the promise of his coming? The, the way that they ask that question reminds me of how the serpent asked the question to Eve in the garden. Remember how when, when she said to her, he said, yea, hath God said? He's asking a question. He's not really saying it's not true, but he's just asking a question. Well, what's, what, expl you explain it to me. And, and that's the way that these scoffers are going to say, they're going to essentially say in the last day, they're going to be people that, as he says in verse 3, they're going to follow after or walk after their own lust. These people are going to do exactly what their father the devil did in the garden, and they're going to pose questions that try to undermine what God has actually said. But you need to understand that who you are. You are not a follower of these false prophets, at least you shouldn't be. You are one who follows after God. And you know what Christians do? We believe God over anybody else. The way Paul writes about it in Romans 3.3 is we're going to let God be true and every man a liar. In that context, he's talking about people who refer to God's methods and God's means, and they question why does God do this or that, and we're just going to say, we may not know exactly why he does it, it may not add up to your logic or my logic, but if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it, and we're just going to believe him. We have been given, in 2 Peter, he talks about 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, we have been given exceeding great and precious promises. There are many promises in the Bible, but related to this idea of his coming, which he, they're questioning this promise of his coming. They're looking around and they say, For the, since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So they're looking around and they're saying, I, I don't know where in the world you get this Jesus is coming back stuff from. Well, I'll tell you where we get it from. We get it from Jesus' own words. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 2, In my father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I want you to hear unequivocally, and this is what I think Peter is trying to get you to see, is Jesus is coming back. No matter what anybody says, he's coming back. He's faithful, he's true, he can be believed. And I will go further and say, only believe Jesus. There are some jokers right now, Forgive me, but I, I stumble on some of these stuff, and, and, I, and I just, it, it just really it irritates me for some reason. It probably shouldn't, but it does. There's some jokers right now who are deep into this numerology garbage. And I'm just going to tell you what. I mean, there's some, there's some numerology stuff in the Bible, but it doesn't go where they want it to go. Let me just tell you, it's not there, what they're saying. And they are guessing that Jesus is going to come back in 2033. That's their date. And he may come back in 2033, but I don't know it from anything that Jesus said and anything the Bible has said. They're making that up. So you know who I'm going to believe? I'm not going to believe people who come up with a date that may or may not happen. Because by the way, if it happens, it happens in the same way that a clock without a battery in it is going to be right at least twice a day. You understand? It just happens that way. It's just going to happen. But we're not going to believe man whether he's doubting Jesus is coming back or he's setting a date that's going to move on and pass on, we're not going to believe that. We're going to believe what Jesus said because we believe that God is true and everyone else is a liar. So we're going to believe that God has promised. We need to be reminded that God has promised that he's going to return. But he's also promised, and this is what we need to remember as well, he's promised destruction. Look at the next verse there where he says in verse 5, for this... Speaking of these scoffers, they are willingly are ignorant of, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Just suffice to say what he's saying here is that they are forgetting, or they're choosing to disbelieve, however you want to say it, but they forget that God created everything. This in the water, out of the water thing is this idea of you know, when he created the heavens and the earth and he separated the waters and all. That's what he's talking about there. They're saying, they're saying, well, I don't think Jesus is coming back. And Peter's saying, well, these guys forgot or they are choosing to not believe that he created this whole thing. This world is his creation. And he goes on in verse 6 and says, whereby the world, speaking of that water, that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's saying that God who created the world and he put the water here and he said, water, you stop here, you stay up here. He put water where he wanted to. You know what else he did? He let it go one day and he flooded the whole thing out. You go back to Noah, the Noah, Noah's flood back in Genesis, and you'll see how the entire world, except for eight people and then two of every kind of animal, were put into an ark to survive. Other than that, everything else was destroyed on the earth because the Lord, who created it all, he destroyed it all. He's that kind of powerful God. But he says then in verse 7, but the heavens and earth, which are now by the same word kept in store. Stop right there. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 9. Do you know what God said to Noah in Genesis chapter 9 after that flood? He said, I'm never going to flood this world again. I'm not going to destroy it with water ever again. In fact, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. When you see a rainbow in the sky, that's just you're seeing the promise that God has put in the sky to remind us 
I did it once. I could do it again. Not going to. Because I've got other plans for this earth. And that's what Peter continues on. He says, he's kept the same in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. He's saying, I'm going to, rather, God is saying, I'm going to keep my promise not to destroy this world. I can, I did it once, I could do it every time I wanted to, but I chose not to and I promised you and I'm going to keep my promise all the way up to the end because I'm going to destroy this earth on the day of judgment. Sometimes it's referred to, in fact, even in this passage in verse 10, it's referred to as the day of the Lord, that moment, that time where God is going to, by destruction of fire, he is going to destroy, he is going to burn up all of the, all of the created world. He will, of course, create a new heaven and new earth, but it's is all going to be gone. It's all, everything that you know is going to be burned out, burned up. It is going to no longer exist. Everything that you know. It will no longer exist. God is going to destroy this world. These people, they forget that. They're saying, well, Jesus is not coming back. This thing is just going to continue on. And I think even Christians can kind of get into that mindset that, that what we see and what we experience today is just going to continue on forever. It's not. It's not. Not only are you finite, you're going to have an end. We all have an end hate to think about that, don't you? We like to be able to think we're going to live forever. No, we're not, none of us are going to live forever, not on this earth. We'll live forever in heaven, but not on this earth. We're going to have an end. But even after you're dead and gone, this world has an expiration date, and the, the Lord is the one that's in control of this. And, and it doesn't matter how old you think this world is. There are some scientists who would argue that the, that the universe is billions of years old which they would then in turn take that, that information and say, because it's so old, it's just going to continue on for billions of years into the future. But it doesn't matter how old you think the universe is, God is still going to destroy this. It doesn't matter what you're attached to. I kind of like the house I'm living in. I kind of like coming here and preaching. I kind of like the thing, my family and the things I have. I like those things. I like my life. And I'm pretty attached to it. But there's an end to it. I have to recognize that the Lord God Almighty, no matter how attached I think I am to something, is he's in control and he can take it away. You may say, well, I've worked my whole life for fill in the blank. And you may well have. But it's not yours to hold on to. God is the one who's promised destruction of everything that you see, no matter how much you love it, no matter how much you like it. That's why he says, Jesus says over in Matthew 6, that we should not lay up treasures ourselves on earth because moth and rust will break in thieves will break in and steal that's what's going to happen those things are going to be destroyed uh, it, some of them are destroyed in this lifetime aren't they i mean uh, brother steve and i were just talking about these trees over here and they've been there for well, at least 100 years right if not longer they're gone now like it or hate it they're gone now so that's some things that are temporally destroyed right but there's also everything will be eternally destroyed. God is going to get rid of it all. So we better not put our hopes and dreams on this earth. They have to be on the next earth. God has promised to return, but he's also, and he's promised destruction. But I want you to see what, it, what he does here in this next passage, our next part of the passage. He says in verse 8, beloved, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Certainly there, there are a lot of implications of what he is saying here, but in this context, he is essentially saying, we know it feels like it's been a long time. 
It has been a long time. Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. I don't know what y'all think about the long time, but 2,000 years is a pretty long time, at least in my, in my estimation of things. And he is saying that to God, that's not even a thing. If he wants to wait another 2,000 years, 10,000 years, he can do it. Time, you understand, is a thing to me. I was born at a certain time, I'm going to die at a certain time. I'm going to go to bed at a certain time, I get up at a certain time. I get hungry at a certain time. i got to do the certain things at a certain time and be at a certain place. I, time governs my life because I am inside of time. God is not governed by time. Now that's, that's a weird thought. Just think about that for a second. God is not governed by time. Do you know why? He made it. It's his creation. He created time, and he can do whatever he wants to with it, whenever he wants to with it, however he wants to it. I mean, you know those old time travel movies? You've probably have seen some of those time travel movies, and they're interesting if you like science fiction and all that. But God doesn't have to do time travel. He's outside of time, and he orchestrates things across time without it even being a thing. To you and I, I have to, if I could even travel through time, I'm having to move from time to no, God is outside of all of that. He is absolutely outside of that. And he creates it and he is he created and he uses it for his purposes. You know what sometimes Jesus or God does, you know sometimes he does. Just like Jesus did over in John chapter 5. There was that man that had been had that um uh that that ailment for many years, 30 something years and he was laying by that pool and he couldn't walk, couldn't do anything and Jesus comes up to him, has a conversation with him and in verse 9 he says he told the man to get up and walk, and it said immediately he got up and walked. So sometimes Jesus does that. He does some things, and he's done it for some of y'all where you just saw it was like this, and then boom, it's like that. Sometimes he does that. And sometimes he does things like he's referencing over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, where he says that we will one day be conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm looking at a bunch of y'all, and y'all are very attractive and wonderful human beings. But ain't a one of you look like Jesus. Not yet, but the Bible says you will look like Jesus one day. You will be conformed to his image. That's going to happen. It may take a couple of years, and I, and I understand we're not looking forward to being out of this, off this planet and, in, and out of off this earth and dead. That's not something we want to happen, but the minute that a believer dies and is in the presence of the Lord, we are sanctified, we are glorified, we are going to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. So some of us, that may mean next week you're going to look like Jesus. Some of you, that may mean 20 years from now, you're going to look like Jesus. Some of you, that might mean 40, 50, Lord knows how long, how many years from now, but that you're going to look like Jesus. But the point I'm trying to get you to see is this is going to be something. In fact, that was Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. He wrote that, or Paul wrote that, uh, really, we're talking at least, what, 18, 1900 years ago? I mean, it's been a while. So this is a millennial type results. He says this and it takes thousands of years to accomplish it. Do you see what I'm getting at? He's, he can do these things. And if nothing else, my lifetime, the lifetime that I live, from the moment that you are saved to the moment that you open your eyes in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a lifetime of sanctification. That's how God works. He works on those kind of time frames. And you say, well, why in the world does that matter? Because sometimes you can look around and you can say, why didn't God hurry up? You said he's coming you got these scoffers over here saying, where is he going to be? 
And I know it's going to be destruction, but I'm saved. I'm going to get out of here. That's going to be awesome. Why can't that just go ahead and happen? Well, look at what verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's going to do what he said. That's not never in question, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is delaying his return and the destruction of this earth for his purposes. We don't know all of what he's got in mind. We don't know all of his timing. In fact, we know very little of his timing, but we know a little bit of his purpose. You know what at least two of his purposes are that are referenced here in this passage? We see that he's delaying that there will be some that will be saved. There are people who are not believers today that when the Lord does return in his good time, that will be believers who will be, as Thessalonians talks about, caught up with him. We will get that. We'll have some other brothers and sisters that we don't know as brothers and sisters today. And I hope and pray, I hope you're hoping and praying that some of those will be brothers and sisters that we get to be fellowshipping with here at this church, that we can walk through the waters of baptism with, that we can walk through the, the walk of discipleship with. I hope that's the case. But that's why the Lord is delaying his coming, in part to see some come to repentance. I think there's also there that what's implied here is the sanctification of the saved. Some of y'all ain't done yet. There's some stuff he's working on you. He's still working on you. And if he were to take you back right now, I know if the Lord does it, it's perfect. I understand that. But that's why he hadn't done it, you understand. If, but Because if he were to do it right now, you wouldn't be ready. Your, your spirit, your, your body, your mind, all of the things that you are would not be ready yet. You have to understand that what God does is best. We have to trust that. He does, as Romans 8, 28 says, he does work all things together for good to them that love God. And that doesn't just mean that you're going to have a perfect life. That may mean you're going to have to wait a little bit. Working right now and hurting right now and all the things you're going through, you just have to hang on a little bit. He's coming. He's going to destroy everything, but you just have to hold on. But God is going to save in his good time. Don't mistake, as the scoffers are doing, don't mistake his kindness, his mercifulness for weakness. doesn't mean he's being weak. He's actually being strong by loving and extending this time of opportunity because he has promised this to us. So, because he has promised to return, because he's promised destruction, because he has promised to have mercy on us, because of that, there are a couple of things that are very important for us. We need to remember these things. We need to remember what he's done. We need to remember who we are, which that looks like verse in, um, excuse me, in verse in verse 11, let me go read verse 10. He says, but in the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the knife, which, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the work, works that are therein shall be burned up. So because of that, and he says in verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, because the Lord is coming back, because he is going to destroy everything, because he is being merciful at this moment in time, he says, seeing this, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Because of God's promises, and he's made so many promises, but we just focused on those three that are in this passage, we ought to be living like children of God while we wait on the Lord. My question, and I think the question of this passage is, 
does your life, as you walk in this world, does it reflect the person that God has made you to be in Jesus Christ? That's why he's calling us in verses 1 and 2 to remember all these things, because you are something different. You're something special. He's made you different. He's changed you in a particular way. And he said, I- I've done those things, and I want you to remember that, because my promises are coming. I'm coming back. I'm going to destroy everything. In the meantime, I'm being merciful. Are you being who I have made you to be? Do you have a holy life, a holy conversation, to use his word? Are you operating, as he says in chapter 1 and verse 4, as a partaker of the divine nature? Do you reflect Christ in your life? Are you marked by godliness? talks about in chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7 where we add to our faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and kindness and love. Are you doing that? Because that's who you are. That's who you're supposed to be. Are. See, see what, we, what we're going to do, what we're going to be tempted to do is, yeah, we got saved. Lord ain't coming back yet, so I'm just going to go live like I want to. That's the temptation. But he's saying, no, 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 you're different than that. I'm coming back. That's not stopped. I'm going to destroy everything, and I'm giving you a little bit of mercy to grow in grace while you're waiting. Are you doing that? Or are you looking and living a whole lot like the world? That's what the false prophets are teaching you to do. Do you look more like chapter 2 than you do chapter 3, verse 11? Are you like the false prophets in chapter 2, verse 22, going back to your vomit and the mud pit that you were saved from because eh, Jesus didn't come back real quick. No, he's coming back. He is. And when he comes back, it's all gone. Time is no more. Are you living that way? He goes on in verse 12 to say, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord, of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwell, dwelleth righteousness. Are you holding on to the things of this world like they are the only things that ever will exist? Are you holding on to possessions? Are you holding on to jobs? Are you holding on to your country? Are you holding on to your politics? Are you holding on to your ways and your traditions? Are you holding on to your habits and the things that you make you feel good? Is that what you're holding on to? Or are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? He has promised if we will seek his kingdom, if we seek his righteousness in Matthew 6, 33, that he'll provide everything else to us. That's what he said. He's also said the same thing here in this, in this, uh, in this book, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, I'm going to provide you everything you need for godliness and life. Everything you need, I'm going to give it to you. But what do we do? Can, can I just level with you what I do? I know God's given me everything I need, but you know what I do? I hang on to everything I got because I ain't going to get any more of it if I don't let go, if I let go of it. I got to hang on to it. But I got to remember, 
that that thing I'm hanging on to, when Jesus comes back, I don't have it anymore. And even while I'm here, it be the thing that is keeping me from pursuing righteousness and holy living. It could be the thing that is getting in my way. I think we're so connected to the things of this world that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be like little kids who somebody stole our puppy dog. Are you, you understand? I, I really, can you imagine this? Hey, Jesus, don't take my house. Hey, Jesus, that, that, I just bought this boat. Hey, Jesus, you can have everything else, but man, I like that motorcycle. You can have all the rest of it, but man, I sure do like that job I'm working. And we can name all, and I, don't, I may not have named your sin, but we all got a sin, don't we? We all got a little thing we hold on to. And I think that's how it's going to be, that we're going to be sitting there and saying, I like this. I like to see you, Jesus. I'm really having a hard time at whatever I'm having a hard time at, but I sure do like this thing. Don't take that away from me. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to burn it all with a fervent heat. It's all gone. You don't get that anymore. Can I just tell you what you're going to have in heaven? It even says in, in, in the Bible that there's not get marriage and giving in marriage and all these things. I think we're going to know each other and all that, but I think the relationships we'll have will be very different in heaven. I don't know all the details of that. So you know what I want you to understand? The one thing you get in heaven, one thing, so I get a mansion. Well, I, I think you're going to get to live in heaven and God's going to give you a nice place to live. I ain't worried about that. But you know the one thing you get in heaven that not without a question, everything else will be stripped away. You get one thing. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, you get the chief shepherd. You get Jesus Christ. He is the prize. That's all you get. That's it. That's it. Now, if that ain't enough, well, you keep going the way you're going. <laughs> you won't have to worry about it. <laughs> and I don't mean to be glib, but that's the truth. That's the truth. Because if you're following after Jesus, you get one thing. You get Jesus, the author, the finisher of your faith. And I'm afraid, as Peter, I think, is afraid here, is that there are too many people that are listening to the false teachers, that are listening to those that are chasing down their lust and what they desire and what they want, and they're listening to that, and they're going to be sorely disappointed when Jesus comes back. Because he's just going to burn it all up. He's going to say it's all over. Our question is, do you believe in God's promises? If you do really believe in God's promises, then you ought to be able to sing that old song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. Can't feel at home in this world anymore. I just want to remind you the Lord's coming back. Hallelujah. But when he comes back, he's burning everything up. <laughs> Ouch. But in the meantime, he's giving you some time to mature as a Christian, grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's working on you, he's working on you. So if you can't completely sing that song with all your heart right now, say, Lord, help me to sing it a little more fully. This world is not my home. This world is not my home. This world is not my home.
and he'll work on you. He's gracious, he's loving. I'm so glad he is, aren't you? Because if he wasn't, man, I'd be a pile of ash standing up here. I can tell you that right now. But because he loves me and he loves you, he's patient with us. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Thank you.